They're always stuffed. How many of you, this is a good poll here, how many of you like stuffing? You like stuffing? I'll pray for you. How about dressing? Amen. Amen. Not that you can't eat stuffing, that's great. We'll pray for you. But the dressing is out of bounds. I mean, it is so good. And all God's people said amen to that, right? All right, we want to consider the subject of giving thanks today. And before we get into the, to the message itself, I want, to, I want to talk to you just a little bit about this, this action of giving thanks. Because, because I think we do. We do give thanks. And I think a lot of times that thanks is directed toward um, the things that are here on earth. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I give thanks for my family, I'm thankful for my wife, I'm thankful for my kids, I'm thankful for my grandkids, I'm thankful at 53, I'm in pretty good health, right? There's there's a lot to be thankful for, and I think a lot of times our thanksgiving is kind of geared to what we see here on earth, and I want to kind of take your mind to a different direction today in in terms of giving thanks, because... um, I think it's important that we learn to give thanks to the Lord for who He is. Because it's very easy to kind of be stuck in this pattern of of giving thanks uh, for all those things that are around us. But I kind of want to challenge our, our thinking this morning that maybe deeper than all that, and all that's fine, But deeper than all that is thanking the Lord for who he is. And I think that you'll find that the psalmist in Psalm 136 does exactly that. So I want you to take your Bibles and go to Psalm 136. We will eventually get to that psalm. Did you know that Thanksgiving is... um, something that has been around in our nation for a while. Um, At the request of Congress, uh, George Washington, back on October 3rd, 1789, uh, wrote this. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God... To obey his will. And I want you to think as we're reading through this. uh, We've changed somewhat as a nation. But I found this to be fascinating. To obey his will. To be grateful for his benefits. And humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me, and then we have the request, to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. Wow. To be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many favors of Almighty God, especially affirming them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states 
to the service of that great and glorious being who is the generous author of all the good that was. Now catch this. The author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be. That we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation. Wow. Have we come a long way in our nation? Thursdays, Thanksgivings these days tend to be, and there's nothing wrong with all of these things, it tends to be a whole lot of turkey and a whole lot of dressing and a whole lot of football and a whole lot of family and a whole lot of friends and all that's fine. But as I researched and I look back to, to our founding fathers, I'm saying, whoa! There was an understanding among these men that thanks needs to be directed to God. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to stand on a public stage somewhere in the United States of America and say these very words to remind our nation and our people, hey, there are roots that go back to 1789 in terms of giving thanks. And so I ask you this question today, and I want you to think about this, all right? As you go through today, maybe as you go through your week, and notice the personal pronoun we. I wanted to include myself in this. It's not just you. I'm not preaching or teaching at you. This is for all of us to consider. How are we doing with the discipline of giving thanks to God? And specifically in giving thanks to God for who he is. So if I say God is, how do you fill in that blank? God is love. And God is patient. And God is merciful, and God is kind, and God is gentle. Isn't it nice that God's gentle? God is gentle. God is forgiving. God is just. All of those things. When was the last time that, that maybe we've, we've drawn back and, on a Thanksgiving week or, or as we're reminded of that because our nation kind of goes off on that this Thursday, but as we're reminded of thanks, we're not limited to, to one day a year. It's every morning that I get up that I can thank God for who He is, that He is mercy and He is love and He is forgiveness and He is just and He is righteous. I stumbled upon that this week and I thought, this deserves time and attention and reflection, does it not? Because we'll get busy in our week and, and all of us are going to be around family and friends Thursday and that's going to be grand. But wouldn't it be nice if on Thursday the spiritual leaders of our homes would stand and would say, this day, well, our nation gives thanks for a lot of things we're going to thank God for who He is. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do something unique. We're going to start something different in our families, with our families, with our kids, and with our grandkids, and we're going to stand as men, as leaders of our homes, and we're going to say this day and every other day we can give thanks to the one who is, who was, who is, and who is to come.
Because he truly is the one deserving, the only one deserving of our praise and worship. So, as we're reminded in the beginning of the service, the instruction to the church is in everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It's his will. You know, people talk in terms of what's God's will, what's God's will, and Man, I think if we just paid attention to the black and white in the New Testament, we could find out pretty simply this is what God's will is. It is God's will that we give thanks to Him in everything. Well, I want to give you some examples because maybe we need some examples, right? If we're going to make that turn in our thinking. But the greatest example is the Lord. I found is just doing some research and, 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 and when you guys have some spare time this week, you can do that too. But as you research the life of Christ and you look at this issue of giving thanks, he did so in some pretty unique places. Uh, unique times. You remember the feeding of the 5,000? Here it is, John chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. 5,000 men. That doesn't count women and children. So let's just say fifteen to 20,000 people. Hey, what's there to eat? Well, there's a kid that has five loaves and two fish. Well, if you're any one of the disciples, you're like, yeah, that ain't going to work. You know, which one of us is going to get the five loaves and two fish, right? But Jesus does something that's just awesome. I mean, you need to read John chapter 6 when you get home. That's your assignment. Read it. Jesus said these words, have the people sit down. I wonder what was going through their minds just right then. Now, there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, a number about 5,000. Jesus, therefore, took the loaves, and having given thanks, who's he giving thanks to? His Father. <laughs> he distributed to those who were seated, likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted can you imagine what it must have been like to be one of those disciples distributing that food? They learned a valuable lesson that day, many valuable lessons. We serve a God who's a provider. And do you know in that story, over and abundant. Can't we say that in our lives as Christians? He's an over and abundant provider. I wonder how the number of ways, as I stand before the Lord one day, he'll say, hey, Thad, did you remember this, and you remember that, and you remember this? And I'm going to, wow, Lord, you're amazing. Well, that's not the only story that we have. The raising of Lazarus. There's your next assignment. So tomorrow, read John 11. The Bible tells us that Lazarus had been dead a few days. And Jesus shows up. And so they removed the stone, the Bible says. And Jesus raised his eyes. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You catch that last part? I knew that you always hear me. Hey, guys, do you know what? I can be in a conversation. Maybe this has happened to you. And you're standing in front of somebody and you're talking. Right? Your mouth is moving. And you're standing across from that person, and you're like, they're not even hearing me. That ever happened to you? With me? Don't raise your hand. That's happened. 
right? That happens to all of us. I can confess. I've probably listened to a few of you say something, and at the end, if you'd have said, hey, Thad, repeat what I just said, I said, yeah. But we have a God who always hears us. I like that. Because I don't always listen to my wife. Dear, I love you. But I don't always do that well. But you know what amazes me about my Heavenly Father is that while I'm talking with Him, there may be millions of others talking with Him. And He's never confused. Well, that's just two examples. Third example is the Lord's Supper. And this is the one when I look at it, I go, wow, the Lord knew what was in front of him and he's still thinking. I just, I don't get that. But, right, all of us go through hard times. This time, though, you know, the greatest issue here was that his father would forsake him. You remember he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, Matthew 26, it says, And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and that cup's a picture of suffering, and gave thanks. It's crazy. (laughs) And gave thanks. And gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is shed on behalf of many for the forgiveness of sins. That looked like a time when one would want to give thanks. Knowing that the cross was in front of him, the suffering and the shame, and all of that that went with it. And yet, the Bible says he took the cup in front of his disciples and he gave thanks. You know, we go through suffering in life, different forms and different fashions. Wouldn't you say that it's difficult to follow the instruction of the Apostle Paul for the church in everything, give thanks? That's tough. If any of you say it's not tough, you need to come up here and start teaching. That's tough. Because we go through trials and we go through tribulations and there are things that happen in our lives and we go, Lord, I don't understand it. But he says in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's what he says to his church. Well, this morning, I want us to look for just a few moments. I just have a few observations I want to make from Psalm 136. But because this psalm here is really in the context uh, directed to the nation of Israel. And um, I wanted to, to just make a few initial observations about, about the psalm. Um, if you wanted to go home and read that, too, you could do that on what I give you Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all right? Um, it's a tremendous psalm, one that I think you'd thoroughly enjoy. There's a lot of similarities to even Psalm 135 with that. But let me just give you just a few observations uh, from this psalm initially. The author of the psalm is not identified. We know... Um, a lot of the psalms, they'll have above it, like the psalm of David. They'll identify, that the writer is identified. But in this particular psalm, there is no identification of an author. Um, the second observation is the psalm was sung in Solomon's temple. I, I want to read this. You don't need to turn there, but I wanted to read this. 
um, this particular psalm was sung, and, and, and it's not just in this one section. Uh, on Wednesday, you can go research other scriptures, right, that, that speak about this very, this very thing. Um, I just want to read this to you. Um, it says, when Solomon had finished praying, Second Chronicles chapter 7, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. I read that, I was reminded, that's, you know, when we see the Lord one day, that's what's going to happen to us. You ever wonder, what's going to be my first reaction to the Lord? I think there are numerous examples. That's what's going to happen. They bowed down, on the, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly He is good. Truly, listen to this, truly His loving kindness, His mercy is everlasting. And then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Thus the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. And the priests stood at their post and the Levites with the instruments of music to the Lord, which King David had made for giving praise to the Lord. I really like that phrase. You know, no matter what the instrument, right? I mean, you come up, if I come over here and I start playing this piano... You think, well, he can't play the up piano. I can too. I can play Silent Night. Right? Hold on. Right? <laughs> That's about all I can do. All right, but it's not about the instruments. And it's not about the ones that are playing the instruments. It's about what that leads to. It leads to the opportunity for you and I to worship the Lord. Then it says, He made these instruments for giving praise to the Lord. And l- listen to this. For His loving kindness, His mercy is everlasting. Whenever He gave praise by their means, while the priest on the other side blew trumpets, and all Israel was standing. You notice, isn't that interesting, that the focal point there, even though there were instruments, the focal point was on worshiping the Lord on giving thanks to him. He's the object of that. Well, that's one example. Uh, Another initial observation is many theologians believe this psalm was designed for public worship, where the the first part of that that verse was was read, right? Whether it's verse 1 or verse 2 or 3 through the entire psalm, and that the response from the congregation would have been, for his mercy is everlasting. So, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness or his mercy is everlasting. Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods, and then you would say, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Wouldn't it be nice if we did that sometime? Say, Thad, that's kind of weird. No, it's not. We need to respond to the Lord. One of the greatest forms of worship that you and I have is responding to the Lord through his word. So the psalm, many believe, uh, theologians believe, was designed for public worship. And then for, for the, the phrase, his loving kindness or his mercy is everlasting, is a repeated theme in the psalms. It doesn't just occur here. I wanted to give you um, just a few examples. There you go. There's a pattern. So in Psalm 106, verse 1, 
The psalmist says, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. You see that? You see that pattern? It's thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness or mercy is everlasting. And then Psalm 107, 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness or his mercy is everlasting. And then Psalm 118, 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness or his mercy is everlasting. How do you feel about repetition? If you notice, um, when we sing on Sundays, a lot of these songs we've sung before, whether it's the praise team leading or whether it's Ron or B leading, a lot of these songs we've sung before, I say that's great. Because I don't know about you, but as I get older, my memory kind of, it's fading. I need the repetition. And that's what's going on here with the nation of Israel. There was constant repetition. Why? Because they needed things to be repeated just like you and I do. And so this phrase here, give thanks to the Lord, is a phrase that's repeated over and over and over again. And I would like to suggest to you that that phrase leads a person or should lead a person to worship. It is a call to worship. And that's what, what Psalm 136.1 is. It's a call to worship. The psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness or his mercy is everlasting. I wanted to just make three observations about this particular verse. Um, I thought about going through the whole psalm, but wow, I'd have to have you here till five or six o'clock. Uh, and I didn't want to do that to you, so when you get to it on Wednesday, you can study yourself the rest of the verses. But there's three, three issues here that I see. The first is the call to worship. Notice what the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord. That is a call to worship. In fact, the, um, the word give thanks or the phrase give thanks in the Hebrew means to confess or to acknowledge. So the psalmist is encouraging his readers to confess and acknowledge that they needed to give thanks to the Lord. They need to confess the Lord as the one that is good. He's the one that's worthy of thanks. You know, the word worship has the meaning of, in Scripture, of worship or of value. Now, when you go to a store, or nowadays, I guess you shop online, a lot of you may do that, there is a price tag for every item. You don't just walk in a store and go, well, I want that item, and just walk out. There's a price tag on that, and you're expected to pay that price. And if you hand over that amount of money plus tax, you get that item and you can walk out. How do you put a tag or a value on the Lord? <laughs> How do you say, oh, he's only worth this much or only worth that much? There is no amount of money that can be put next to the Lord. None. How would you even begin to put a value there? In some respects, his value is past finding out. What we do have is we have his word that tells us how valuable he is. Um, he's so valuable, the Bible tells us, I had to write a little 
uh, discussion board this week, um, and in that assignment, I talked about part, I, part, I just couldn't get away from that, that, that God demonstrated, right, how much he loved us. <laughs> he demonstrated his love, Paul says, toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do you attach value to that? Because no other sacrifice was sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God, only his son. How in the world do we say thank you? So it's a call to worship. That's what's going on in the first part of this verse. He says, give thanks to the Lord. In the New Testament, it looks like this for the church. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be what? Be thankful. Notice the repetition here, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with what? With thankfulness in your hearts to who? To God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Three times in those verses is highlighted what? Giving thanks, giving thanks, giving thanks. The direction of that thanks is toward the Lord. And it's worship. It's worship. Whether you're talking about the nation of Israel in Psalm 136 or the church in Colossians 3, the directive for Israel, the same directives given to the church. We need to give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. Well, Tim Keller writes this. It's one thing to be grateful. It's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel. Giving thanks is what you do. Gratitude is what you feel. Giving thanks is what you do. It's action. It's action. It's worship. It's worship. You know, why do we come here on Sundays? To what? To worship. Not each other. Not the one standing behind a lectern or the one playing the piano or the one with the guitar or the one with the drumsticks. We come to worship who? We come to worship the Lord. That's what we come to do. I think unfortunately in our churches today, there tends to be a lot of, a lot of praise, a lot of accolade given to the one who's standing behind a lectern or playing a guitar or whatever. And, and that's not it. That's not it at all. So whatever you do, just like Colossians says, whether in word or deed, do all to the glory of the Lord. Give thanks to Him. He's the one that's worthy of our worship and the only one that is worthy of our worship. You say, well, Thad, how do we worship the Lord? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you a few suggestions. Did you know that we worship the Lord through reading His Word? We worship the Lord through studying His Word. We worship the Lord by meditating on His Word. We worship the Lord when we sing to Him. We worship the Lord when we serve Him. And the idea of service in the New Testament is given to us in Romans chapter 12. 
What is my reasonable service of worship? What's that look like? Let me tell you what it looks like. Our reasonable service of worship to the Lord is putting ourselves on the altar and saying, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do with me, however you want to do with me, I belong to you. That price tag's pretty high. Hold on a second. You remember on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus said, right? He's on his way to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to what? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and do what? Follow me. Deny yourself. Whoa, hold on, time out. Hey, Lord, different day, different time, United States of America free. It's all about me. These people thought they just wanted to follow him, and then he breaks out that statement. You really want to be a Jesus follower? All right, let me tell you what that involves. Deny yourself, take up your cross, picture of what? Celebration? Picture of what? Suffering. And follow me. Wow. But you know, that's how we worship him. We worship him by laying our lives on the altar and saying, Lord, it's not my life anymore. It's your life. Each week I get, I don't know who does this. I have no, I'm not good with all that mail stuff. I get, I get like, if I go through a whole day and don't check my mail, I have 100 pieces of mail in there. There's two websites that are worthy of reading, though. And, and these two things, I don't even know how to, how to describe it to you, but it comes through and it'll say verse of the day and another one will say Bible reading for the day and I'll click on those. And man, I really like that. The other 98, I just chunk. Not worth reading. But as I was reading one this week, it reminded me of this whole thing of, of you know, the Lord wants us to worship, right? That's what this giving thanks is. It's worship. And, and I'm reminded of how I do that in Romans 12, but then... It's verified again in, in, in Galatians 2. It was no accident that the Lord sent me that verse today. I don't know who does that. I'd love to be able to contact the person. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Whoa. That's deep stuff. Because Paul says, it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I love this. I'm saved by faith and I didn't live by faith. He said in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. You know, we've been called to worship. The psalmist calls Israel to worship. We do that through the word and through prayer and through singing and through serving and that serving piece is a pretty deep piece because it means I'm willing to say, Lord, whatever, whenever, however, it's your life that you're living through me. <laughs> By the way, just so you know, at the end of Christ's ministry, how many were in the upper room? Do you know? 120. That's not many. He would have been considered a failure 
today. Because it's all about the masses, right? Well, he addressed the masses. He said, do you want to be a follower of mine? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. All right, well, we go to point two is the object of worship. So the call and, or the command is to worship, all right? Give thanks to the Lord. It says, for he is good. So the object of our worship is the Lord. And there's a couple of things about this Hebrew name here that you need to know. Lord emphasizes a couple of things. His eternal self-existence, his self-sufficiency. He doesn't need any help. We need his help. (laughs) Right? We need his help. Israel needed his help. And I really love the way that all that worked out. I don't like the fact they disobeyed at times, but I'm going to get to my point. Man, the Lord was patient with those people. And that same God who is self-sufficient is patient with you and me. And he's self-existent. He always has been and he always will be. Uh, Wouldn't you have loved to have been in the crowd of Jews when Jesus said in John's gospel, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. How would that have been? What? How many eyes are rolling back? I mean, what? What's he saying to the Jews? I always have been. Another part of that name, Hebrew name, is his continual presence. Not only his eternal self-existence and self-sufficiency, but his continual presence. And we love that, right? His continual presence, Israel did. You know, people think today in in theology, they kind of have this this replacement theology in mind that, that the church has replaced Israel in one word, baloney. That's not what the book says. Right? It's just been the pause button. Right? The pause button. And we're thankful for the pause button because you know what the pause button is? The church. And we've been grafted in. (laughs) I don't know if you're aware of that. We've been grafted in. And just as the Lord will not desert Israel, the Lord will not desert His church. The Bible says he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And I've got a great illustration. Do you know that in your life there will be friends who desert you? Have you ever had that happen? I have. Just why it left me. Family will desert you. Oh, well, Thad, you don't know my family. Well, just wait a few years. I hope it doesn't happen. But it might especially if you have some in the family who aren't Jesus people. And they say, man, you are out of your mind. What do you mean you believe that Jonah was swallowed by this big fish and lived in the belly of that big fish for three days? You are outside your mind. And you say, that's right. 
I believe it. You know what's so awesome about the Lord? Because he knows all things. Do you know one of the times the Lord refers to the Old Testament is about Jonah? Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days. So the Son of Man. And you're like, whoa! He handled that. Man, it's awesome knowing the Lord. He'll never leave us, the Bible says. He'll never forsake us. So the object of worship is the self-existent, self-sufficient one who's always present with us. I encourage you to read those verses. I just tagged those on for Thursday and Friday for you. By the time you, listen, by the time I get done, you'll, you'll be back here. All right, and the third and last, you're like, man, Thad, you're just starting now. I'm almost done. All right, the third and last, right, point in, the, in, in verse 1 is the reasons to worship, right? So, so let's say someone's a new Christian, and they're like, hey, what do you do on Sunday? Right, that happens to people. What do you do on Sunday? Well, we go and, and we worship. Do you know that you are, whether you like this or not, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you're a constant example to those people around you. I want you to know that. They're watching how you worship or don't. So, the reasons to worship are important, and the psalmist tells us what they are. First of all, his constant goodness. Notice what the verse says. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Now, I wrote down there a few things. He is goodness itself. That's who he is. Just like he's mercy and love and, and forgiveness and all those things. He is goodness itself. He is good to all his creation. You say all his creation, that even the unbeliever? Oh. Well, just in case you had a little bit more to do on Thursday, go back to Matthew. The Bible says... He causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And by the way, we don't deserve any of it anyway. Even if we are in Christ. Thankful that I am. So he's good to all his creation. I like the Matthew 6. That'll be for your Friday. Read Matthew 6. Right, and you go into the end of Matthew, it talks about his provision. Not only provision for those animals that he's created, but provision for you and me. And I like what he says at the end. No need to worry, for every day has enough trouble of its own. I find that to be humorous. Every time I read it, I'm like, man, the Lord has a sense of humor. Every day does have enough trouble of his own. Amen? Yeah, so there's no need to worry. He's going to provide, and he's faithful to do so. So he's good to all his creation. He's good to his chosen people, Israel, and he's good to the church. It'll be another good assignment for Saturday. Write the number of ways the Lord has demonstrated in his scriptures his goodness to Israel and the church. Charles Spurgeon said this about God. He is good beyond all others. You know, we use that word good, and it's like, man, how do you even, you know. It's an ambiguous term. But think about this. 
in speaking about God, Spurgeon wrote, He is good beyond all others. Indeed, He alone is good in the highest sense. He is the author of good, the source of good, the good of all good, the sustainer of good, and the rewarder of good. He's just good. You know, in that thing we do, God is good all the time. And what? All the time, God is good. Let's do that. God is good all the time. Y'all sound good. Let's do it one more time. God is good all the time. Amen. Right? That's what our world needs to hear. He is good. All the time. Well, not only his constant goodness, but his steadfast mercy. That's translated loving kindness, loyal, love. Most of the time in these sections, it's translated mercy. And the word mercy conveys God's quality of steadfast loyalty. And, and it's repeated 26 times just in this particular text. Deuteronomy 31.6 speaks about his loyal, loyalty and his mercy. He says, be strong and courageous, speaking to Israel. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. <laughs> and then there's a quote here. That quote is by Matthew Henry. And he says, his mercy is ever the same. It never changes. It is never exhausted. It is found in his dealings toward his creation and forever will be. Guys, do you know what we deserve? Do you know what we deserve? We deserve hell. You know what we're getting? If you're in Christ, you're getting heaven. I deserve his wrath. I deserve that. You deserve that. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that salvation has been provided. So we need to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For he is good. He alone is the definition of good. For his loving kindness or his mercy is everlasting. Guys, I wanted you to think this morning about turning your attention, right? Not that giving thanks for family and friends and all those things are, are wrong. Keep doing that. But I wanted to kind of point your attention this morning to giving thanks to the Lord. For just as the psalmist says, for he is good and his mercy is everlasting. I was reading... Uh, a paper not long ago, the Trustville Tribune. Any of you still read papers? <laughs> Anybody admit you still read? I still read papers. I'm kind of an old-fashioned dude. But I do know this. If you're like not old-fashioned like me and not old like me, you can go and actually you can get the Trustville Tribune right there on your phone. Just pull it up and it'll come right on up. I was reading recently about six students. And these six students were recipients of scholarships. And so I just happened to read through it, and I'm like, man, this is pretty good stuff. And three times in the article, God is mentioned. And these are by teenagers, right? So I'm thinking, well, we always kind of, beat on teenagers but 
You know, there are some teenagers out there that are following the Lord. Do you know that? And there must be three at this school, at least. And in the article, whether they know it or not, they're worshiping the Lord. And this one really is. I like what he says. One of the recipients of a scholarship said this, I want to thank Jesus Christ. He is really my arms and legs. And I love the way he closes this. I don't do anything if not for him. That came out of the mouth of a teenager. Guys, you and I don't any, do anything apart from the grace of the Lord. So, my encouragement to all of us this week is to focus our attention on thanking God for who He is. For He alone is worthy of our worship. He is a good, good Father. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. and We confess, as we started out looking at where our nation has come from, we need your help. Our leaders need to know you. They need to fear you. They need to walk with you. Lord, we need to do the same. We need to fear you. We need to submit to you. For you, Father, alone are worthy of praise. And as we close our service time together, being able to sing a worship song to you, truly, you are a good, good Father. And all these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.